Welcome to the podcast of Calvary Baptist Church. We are delighted you have chosen to listen in today. It's our hope the message of Jesus will continue to spread and bear fruit, both in your life and the world around us. For more digital content, feel free to check us out on the web at calvarybcmoultrie.com. And now for today's message. So, um, I've got a problem with money. Uh, not in the sense that I'm in debt. Not in the sense that I'm swindling people. Not in the sense even that I'm being dishonest with anybody right now. But if I were to tell you that I didn't, I would be bold-faced lying to you. That I have a problem with money. There's things that I think that money can bring that honestly, they just can't bring. I think there's safety in it that no dollars could ever actually bring. I have a problem with money. And you know what? I'm not the only one in here. Maybe you're here today and you're like, uh, David, surely I don't. Man, I, I, I don't. Like, I, I, I'm a pretty honest person. I work hard. Well, great. I mean, that's, that's excellent. I think those are attributes to be applauded. I'm glad that you do work hard. But sometimes, you know, it's not that easy. Sometimes it's not that easy. And sometimes... In life, there's someone who comes along and they show you something about yourselves that you actually just didn't know. And in many ways, that's what this book has done. Um, the author of Ecclesiastes, he's uh, pretty brokenhearted. He, uh, he looks at life and he just really can't make sense of it. It all seems like a mystery. He's a temporary man living in a permanent world. And he doesn't know how, to heck, how the heck to get around it. And you know what? He turns his attention to money this week. And he's honest enough to tell us things maybe we might not want to hear or maybe things that we've always wondered and could totally make sense of life. If you're a note taker today, we only got two points today. Point number one. Our heart towards money and possessions can do immense damage to us. Our hearts towards money and possessions can do immense damage to us. Point number two, our hearts towards money and possessions can bring great joy to us. Our hearts towards money and possessions can bring great joy to us. And you may be like, David, that sounds like so opposite to one another. Well, that's one of the things we've discovered about the book of Ecclesiastes, that that in some ways truly is the case. Now, maybe you're here this morning and um, maybe you are particularly tight with your money. You're like, David, I, I don't trust really what anybody has to say about money. I just think everybody has these opinions and you know what, I, I just try to figure it out myself. Well, that's really interesting. Um, I remember before my grandfather died, um, my grandfather, he would subscribe to many magazines. Um, I love this. I love him so much he would get um, these magazines with all these different financial advice. 
And if you're in finance at all, you're probably aware of some of these. So one of the things that they would do is they would claim to be experts, experts in a particular field. They, they predicted when the market is going to go up and down. So here's what they say. What you need to do is put your entire money, all your retirement, everything into Bitcoin or into silver or into like, and one of the things that you discovered is they were very, very one-sided in their financial advice. And you might be thinking, David, is that what I'm going to get today? And I would say, no. Let's read some of the verses in Ecclesiastes. We're going to start at 1019. One of the things you're going to notice about Ecclesiastes is that it actually gives differing viewpoints. It's things that you wouldn't expect to be together. I'll give you an example. Ecclesiastes 1019. Here's what he says. Bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life. So he's basically saying, hey, bread... You enjoy it around like you enjoy it sitting around your table. Wine brings gladness to life. Money answers everything. That's a way of saying money makes the world go round. So you might expect something like this to be said from maybe some New York stock exchange, stock exchange guy in a big suit, right? Money rules the world. Money runs the world. And the guy says, our preacher says, yo, in one sense, money does run the world. But notice what he also says. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what disaster may happen on earth. Maybe that's strange language to you. Here's what he's saying. Break up your ways that you get income. Because you don't know what kind of disasters can happen on earth. And all of a sudden, the thing that you thought was so safe and your, your money that you thought was so safe can actually just dwindle away and be gone. You would expect this from some kind of financial advice guy, right? Not some guy in a power suit. This is very conservative advice. And then you get the advice from the college road tripper. Says, go, eat your bread with joy, drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved of what you do. Let not your garments be all, let your garments be always white. He's like, always be wearing some nice threads, Okay. Do not let oil be lacking on your head. He's basically saying, you need to enjoy the stuff of life. Spend the money you got. And you're like, you might be thinking already, David, this all comes from one book of the Bible? Yeah. Because he's trying to show you the different sides of wealth. He is not one-sided in his advice. And therefore, one of the things I would suggest to you, maybe if you're a little uncertain whether to listen today... You're not talking to someone who's just completely one-sided. You're talking to someone who seeks to make you wise. He's not after your wealth. He's there to show you what it means to be able to truly hold wealth and possessions well. So it's somebody, let me just insist maybe, he's somebody that you might want to listen to. Now you see up here, all these things are somewhat good we see but here's the thing at the same time the author of ecclesiastes wants to warn you today a lot in the bible is said about money it actually the bible addresses this topic more than any other topic and with good reason and it's this guy's job to warn you that money and possessions can be problematic for us in this world he wants to warn you and i against several pitfalls that we are going to encounter in this life. 
So let's take a look at some of these. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We'll read verses 18 through 26 again. Uh, Actually, 18 through 23. We'll read that. So this is what he says. I hated all the toil which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to a man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be a master over all of which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. We talked about that translation, vanity. Maybe not the best translation there. Mysterious, enigma, can't figure it out, doesn't seem fair. All these things. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who's toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What is a man from all the toil and striving of the heart which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. You know, we work hard in our lives, right? Like, you don't go to work in the morning. I don't go to work in the morning and be like, you know what? This is just going to be a wasted day. I mean, if you hate your job, maybe you think that. Um, but for the most part, we want to go to work and be like, you know what? I'm doing something meaningful today. That's what we do. It's part of us. It's part of who God made us. And one of the things we begin to see that the author here is trying to show us is some of the mysterious qualities of this life. Notice what he says. He says in verse 19, And he who, who knows whether he will be a wise or a fool. One of the things that the author is saying here, he's saying, I worked my whole life, and here's one of the things I realized. I'm going to have to leave all my possessions and everything I, look, I worked for to somebody else. Think about that for a second. Like Ecclesiastes, it makes us want to get uncomfortable. You've worked so stinking hard, and you're going to have to leave every ounce of it to somebody else one day. Even your clothes, the most personal thing you own, goes to somebody else. There's something inherently humbling about that. You and I don't get to keep any of it. And here's the problem that he runs into. Here's what he says. Who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? The picture is this, that you and I can work so hard, leave everything to somebody. We think that they're going to do well with it. And it just ruins their lives. They end up being foolish with it. This could be a son. This could be a daughter. And you would say, surely this would never be my son or my daughter. I will tell you, we live in a world that is broken. And he's trying to show that sometimes you're so certain that you're going to leave something to somebody... And they end up not even believing the same things or valuing the things that you did. And you're going to give every penny that you have, everything that you have to them who very might well waste it within a year. Something that it took you 30 years to build. And he is saying, I used all my wisdom for this. 
It invites us to consider this ourselves. This is what I'm not saying. This is, I'm not saying, oh, disinherit your kids. That's not what I'm saying, all right? Find somebody. You're, you cannot be sure of anything. That's, what I'm saying is the author is trying to show us the things that we think are most certain definitely aren't. And it should make us question, why do we work as hard as we do? And why do we work in the way that we'd work? Is it healthy or is it not? Let's look at another one. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 24. What does he say here? There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. Maybe you're like David. I would never expect that kind of verse from the Bible. Well, there it is. He's saying you should enjoy life. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or have enjoyment? For the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, if you want to hear the most damning verse in Ecclesiastes, you're about to hear it. This is crazy. But to the sinner, he is given the business of gathering and collecting. Only to give it to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. As a kid, I um, was really big into Pokemon. I loved it. I got uh, Pokemon cards at home. At least I used to until my mom threw them away recently. It's okay. I had like four Charizards. It was great. Like, And where are they now? The ver- God has made it some job, somebody's job. If you don't fear him, he says, this is, here, I'll give you a job. Here's what your job's going to be. You're going to be collecting. And you're never going to stop for a second and wonder, what am I collecting for? That is an awful job. The book of Ecclesiastes is showing the hopelessness that is of building up and 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 building up, trying to gather because I gotta have enough, I gotta have enough, I gotta have enough. And he's saying to that person, God has given the job of collecting. Good luck with that. And yet he ends up giving it to the person who pleases God. You see, this seems challenging in itself, but then it gets darker than this. Let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. We're going to park here for a second. This is probably the most considerable one. He says this, The love of money will... um, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of the laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. It's interesting here, he introduces this idea of the love of money. This is one of those interesting concepts throughout the Bible, because here's why. We all know somebody who loves money. It's just not us. This is like, for instance, if you have, I hate to be stereotypical here, if you have a bunch of high school girls in the room, 
And they begin talking about how they hate drama. Oh, I hate drama. I hate drama. Oh, I hate drama too. Talking about it like drama is a person. And you're just like, wait a minute. Because I remember thinking this in high school. I'm like, if all of you guys hate drama, then why is there so much drama here? Like, that does not make sense to me. It's one of those things that makes us realize that some sins take on this persona. It gives us the ability for everyone to recognize it's wrong and at the same time be completely convinced that that's somebody else's problem and not mine. The love of money, here's what it's not. It's not being wealthy. So maybe you're looking at somebody who's wealthy and you're like, oh, they must love money. That's not true. But this is tricky because the love of money, it's actually a metaphor. The picture literally is someone who is dating or married money. They are in bed with money. That's literally the metaphor. And here's the thing. It's not just used here. It's used throughout the Bible. It's a continual metaphor that's picked up over and over and over and over again. But here's the thing. Sometimes with metaphors in the Bible, it doesn't actually tell you what it means. So what you have to do is you have to look at different parts of the Bible to understand, okay, what is he getting at when he says this, when he's using this metaphor, the love of money? Let's look at a couple places. These should be up on the screen as well. Luke 16. Luke 16, 13. Jesus is talking here. He says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Verse 14. You have 14 too? Yep. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard these things and they ridiculed him. So something about what he said revealed the fact that they were a lover of money. Go back to the last verse. What is that? Let's see. No one can, no servant can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the You can't serve God in money. Here's what he's saying. Your ultimate pledge in loyalty can only be towards one thing. Your primary devotion can only be one thing. Basically, think of it like this. The thing that you and I make decisions through. Is my main decision, what will make me the most money? Do I even consider, what would my life look like with God, or with my fellow man, or with my family, if I make this decision? Let's look at another place. 1 Timothy chapter 3. It says this. This is qualifications for an elder. He can't be a drunkard, he can't be violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, and he cannot be a lover of money. So, Someone who loves money is actually someone who is disqualified from being a pastor. And then the last one, which might be the most revealing. Pay attention to this one. 1 Timothy 6. Sorry we have so many verses today, guys. I know this is unusual. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Er, what? One of the things you're going to have to notice in this section, this word right here, this links the two verses together. It describes in some way, it gives you a hint at the love of money. What is the love of money? It is, in this sense, the desire to be rich. And that's tricky. 
Because I don't think there's anybody in this room who doesn't desire that, including me. So here's my options. I can just glaze over it, or I can maybe accept it for what it's saying. Now, maybe you're like David. I do want to be rich. But you know what? I want to be rich so that I can do really good things with it. Okay? I've got some slides that I made that might be helpful here. So I try to draw some things that might be, might be helpful in this way. Let's see, guys. You have those back there with the circles? So if this is you and I, we all have desires, right? The desire to be affirmed, the desire to be for romance, maybe the desire to be rich. And we have reasons. Next slide. We have reasons for these. These are the reasons we tell ourselves. So I want to give my kids a... My kids and my wife a happy life. Nothing wrong like that. If that if you if that's a desire of you, hey, praise that's a good desire. I I want to live a comfortable life. I want to be able to give money away. So these are good reasons, but before you think too nobly of yourself, and before I think too nobly of myself, let me consider help. Let's consider this. There are many people who have walked away from Christianity and walked away from the faith and enter hell starting with these desires. So though they are noble, they are not proof that we don't love money. These are the reasons we tell ourselves. These right here. Reasons we can see. But here's the thing. If any of you have taken geology, so... You have terrain, but then underneath the terrain, you have something called the subterrain, subterrain, subterranean. Things below the surface. So we have desires below the surface. Why do we want to be rich? The reasons we tell ourselves are, I want to give my, kid, my kids and my wife a happy life. I want to share with others. I want to be able to give away. But there's also reasons that are based on who we are as fallen sinners. And these reasons, if you want to be really honest about it, is we want to be independent from everyone, including God, and we don't want to pray. Like, that's in here. Like, that, that, that's, that's in here. And remember, I'm not saying, if you're a wealthy person, this is you. That's not what I'm saying. Being wealthy and being a lover of money are actually two different things. But the reason that Paul writes what he does in 1 Timothy is that if you want to know the manifestation of being a lover of money, it is the desire to be rich. And the reason we have the desire to to be rich is because we want to be free from the shackles of restraints of anybody in this universe, even if it's God. go back to chapter 5, verse 10 through 12. Let's see what it says about this lover of money. And here's why this is important news for you and I to know. This is super important. Because I think all of us in this room are geared to this. So this is really important that you and I know. He who loves money, here's here's one of the things you will discover about it. Will never be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth ever his income. 
One of the aspects of it is you and I, if we are a lover of money, if, we are, if, if our soul is infected with the love of money, we will actually never be satisfied with our income. There will always be a gripe and a complaint in our hearts. That if I set my gaze on riches, I'll tell myself things like, man, when I get to the point where my family makes $90,000, we'll be comfortable and good. Don't, mm-mm, I promise you, you won't be. I won't be. You're going to get there. And if this is not something that you and I, again, put to death every day, it will grow and grow and grow and grow. Maybe you're really good with your finances this morning. Praise God. You're thinking, David, do I have to stop investing? No, that's not what I'm talking about. David, does that mean I need to give away all my money? No, that's not what I'm talking about. This is nuanced. The the book of Ecclesiastes, it's a nuanced book. But here's what he's trying to guard you against. You're not going to be satisfied with money. Here's what he also says. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage is their owner but to see them with his eyes? Here's what he's saying. The more that you make, if you love money, the more that you'll make, you'll notice there's a stinking hole in your pocket. And somehow, the money's just like flowing out. Like, you have no idea where it goes. I have no idea where it goes. And then the thing that's going to drive you crazy. Verse 12. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer. Basically, this is someone, think like a poorer person. Someone who doesn't have much. He sleeps, and he sleeps great at night. He's like, like he's gone. He, he, he sleeps wonderfully. He sleeps that way, whether he eats a little bit or whether he eats a lot, he sleeps good either way. You and I, the full stomach of the rich won't let him sleep. We got too much to think about. We got too much to think about. The book of Ecclesiastes is trying to protect us and help us to spot the things in our lives whenever we are in love with money. And here is why. This might seem harsh because the love of money is a whore. She is. She is an adulterous whore, man. And here's what she will do. She will steal your and my devotion to Jesus Christ. And here's the crazy thing. She will steal your prayers. She will steal my prayers. And why do I say she'll steal my prayers? What reason do I need to pray? I have everything I need. She's not a nice lady. So is all the news bad? No. Are you telling me, David, that I need to sell everything if I'm wealthy? No. Are you telling me I need to stop investing because that's somehow showing that I love money? No. It's not what I'm saying. Why? Number two. 
Our hearts towards money and possessions can bring great joy to us. It can bring great joy to us. Here's what I mean. Let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. Chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. This has two super important concepts. He says, Behold, I've seen what is good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is a gift from God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the joy of his heart. This is interesting. This has two crazy things in it that you only get, I think, by reading the book of Ecclesiastes. Number one, like if you go back, look at verse, uh, in that section, what does he say? Verse 18, towards the end, he says, Find enjoyment in all the toil of which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. What does that mean, that this is his lot? The picture is this. Back in ancient times, one of the things that they would often, they would typically do in the Old Testament, if there was a decision that was in doubt that they needed to know the answer to, what they would do is they would take these dice-like structures, these dice-like objects. They would roll them. And then at that point, Whatever the dice showed was the decision that was made. That was what was called a lot. One of the things that he mentions here, it's really important. Even in verse 19, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. What does that mean to accept one's lot? Here's the picture that he's giving. That God is actually ordained all my days. It's almost like I roll the dice and what comes up is exactly what God had for me. That the reason my life looks the way that it has is this is what God has for me. So I am to make the best of it. Whatever that lot is. I might have been born into a great home situation. I might have been born into a bad home situation. I might have been born into a rich family. I might have been born into a poor family. But either way, that this is the lot that God has given me. Now, here's the thing. That still means what we do matters. The Bible's not saying, hey, you might as well just do whatever you want. That's not what he's getting at. Here's what he's getting at, though. It is going to be in y'all's lot, in some of your lot, you're going to have the ability to make much more money than somebody else. Just maybe one example would be helpful. So let's say you have like 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 kids. It's going to be significantly more difficult for you to make a living, most likely, than someone who just has one. You see that? I'll use me as a personal example. So, here, I am paid part-time by the church. I, I get a stipend here, and I work out there. I, I do, like, some IT stuff. 
Now, here's the thing. I do not advertise my business at all. I could make significantly much more money than I currently do. But here's the thing. I literally have to say no. I have to stop working so that I can come and study for this. Do things like the music. Of the, I have to literally be able to say, there is probably never in a point, if you look at someone with my lot, you're basically going to say, that person will never be rich and wealthy. And you would probably be correct. That is not bad. That is the lot that God has given me. And you know what? I get to serve you guys in that, and it's totally worth it. I want you to know that. A, bother me one bit. I'm probably, if you look at my lot, someone with my lot, probably never going to be like ruling from gold towers. Just ain't going to happen. I will not have some investment portfolio. Others of you will. That's the life that God has actually given you. Maybe he's given you an, a brain with like great recall. So you went to med school or you had some kind of finance degree or lawyer that makes you and gives you the ability to make lots of money. Do that and do it well. Charge a fair wage. Work hard. He's not saying, well, you just don't need to be rich. So just like tank your life. That's not what he's saying. If it's in your ability to do good like that, then do good. But here's what he's getting at. That with your lot, you have certain responsibilities. First, you are a, if you have, if you have repented of your sins, you walk with Jesus. You are a child of him. Here's what this is. That, that goes above every other thing that you do. Maybe you're a wife. That is second, right there, you see? Or maybe you're a dad. Here's what he's getting at. Whatever your lot is, you're going to be tempted to take money and making money and shove that up to the first priority in your life. And that will destroy you. Here's what that essentially is doing. Going back to the lot cast, this is literally what that's like. It's like, cast your lot. And you're like, oh, I'm not rich. Let's play this game again. Yahtzee. And then you roll it again. And you're like, oh, I'm still not rich. Let's play this game again. Until it comes up riches. And the Bible, especially the author of Ecclesiastes, is saying, God has given you a life. He's not saying, tank your income. He's saying, work hard. Try to do what you can. Do your best in life. Do the best business strategy you can. Do those things. If wealth comes to you, it comes to you. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. This is not saying don't seek a promotion. Try your best to get that. But then this is a beautiful thing. This is where we'll end today in this section. Ecclesiastes chapter 6. Verse 1. This is also a contribution that Ecclesiastes makes that the other books of the Bible don't make as much. There's an evil that I've seen under the sun. 
it lies heavy on mankind. A man whom God gives wealth. So this guy's lot is turned up, woo, wealth. Big time wealth, baby. Sorry if I sounded like Ric Flair there. Um, Wealth, possessions, and honor. So that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them. What? Just in case you missed it, let's go back to the the last slide. Chapter 5, verse 18. Because he actually says, in essence, the same thing. Chapter 5, verse 18. Chapter 5, verse 18. Oh, you don't have it? Okay. He says, everyone to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them. Here's what's going on. That we naturally are a people who think that enjoyment, pleasure, and the good life comes from more. This is actually, believe it or not, the very lie that Adam and Eve believed. God gave them the universe. He gave them everything. And what did the serpent come and tell them? You need... You need more. That we think, that I think, that happiness in the good life comes in more. And it does not. This song actually puts it quite well. All the shine on a thousand spotlights, all the stars we steal from the night sky will never be enough. Towers of gold, still too little. These hands could hold the world, but it'll never be enough. That we think that the good life and happiness, maybe happiness in our families, happiness, we think that that comes from more. And the answer is, I guarantee you, and what Ecclesiastes is telling you, that's not true. That you could be poor as mess and have the most beautiful of lives. Where does he say, did you notice in that verse, he says literally the power to enjoy what you have comes from God himself. That's insane. We think that that's a personality thing. Right? Oh, like he just like can't enjoy what he has. And Ecclesiastes is saying, no, like to the rich guy who literally just can't enjoy. He's like, literally, I gave him all that. And all he's doing is collecting and I won't let him enjoy any of it. So what does this do? How does Ecclesiastes help us? Here's what you and I, here's the attitude you and I want. We don't want riches. Here's what you do. You want the God who actually gives enjoyment. That's what you want. That if you had the salary you always dreamed, what good would it be if you actually couldn't enjoy it? And that could be you. That if you and I, if we seek wealth, we will lose the world and we will lose our souls. If we seek Jesus Christ, we in some ways, in a sneaky way, gain both. 
Because not only do we inherit something that is true riches one day, we are actually given the ability to enjoy what he's given us now. Whether that is lots or whether that is little. That Jesus Christ proved that the happy life did not come in abundance. That the first Adam, he had everything. He was given everything. And he disobeyed. The last Adam, Jesus Christ, what happens? He was giving nothing. He was poor. He didn't have a home to call his own. He had to pay his taxes one time by telling people to go get a fish in the sea and the money would be in the fish's mouth. If that's what you have to do to pay your taxes, that's a pretty bad strategy, I'd say, usually most of the time. And he showed that the beautiful life does not consist in having wealth, 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 wealth. That you can have a beautiful life and have very little. And that is not bad. The godliness with contentment, like Paul says, great gain. As we close, I know that this, let, let, me, let me give some helpful applications maybe. Ways that you can practice this in your life. Maybe a word to those. Maybe in this room, I know there's people all over the economic range in this room. You have people who are more wealthy. You have people who are less wealthy. It's all over the place. To those maybe in this room, you are more wealthy. I might tell you something here. I don't think this will offend you. But I don't think anybody's ever told you this. There is a sense in which you have an inherent disadvantage in this life. Think of it like this. Think of it like playing a game of basketball with one arm tied behind your back. Here's why I say this. There are challenges with being poor. But there are distinct challenges also with being wealthy. And one of these is that you and I can tend to think and not remember that we actually are in great need because we have an abundance. And the reason I tell you this is so that you can actually bring about ways that actually counteract that in your life. So let me give you an example. Let's say that you're someone, you don't worry as much about what you like. You have plenty. You need to set up maybe markers in your life of thankfulness. So maybe, here's what this might look like. This might seem silly as mess. Maybe you order a lot of stuff from Amazon. And you just nickel and dime stuff from Amazon. You get a ton of stuff from Amazon, right? Lots of us, we order from there. Some of us work for them, kind of. All right. So here's what you can do. Instead of just being like getting it, opening up, boom, next thing. Literally say, whenever I get a package from Amazon, I'm going to go to my room. I'm going to lift up the package in my closet. I'm going to say, Lord, thank you. You have given me this. And it might be a pack of highlighters. But you know what? It is not any less true that he has given that to me. This could be maybe if you have kids. Maybe it is easy for you to buy something. And maybe they want something. This is an opportunity where you can say, you know what? Let's say your kid's name is James. James? Mommy and Daddy, we have the money to pay for that right now. But here's one of the things. Mommy and Daddy's money is not Mommy and Daddy's. It is the Lord's. So let's do this. 
you want to, you want, you want this? What we're going to do is we're going to take a week to pray about it. And daddy wants an Xbox 360. So we're actually going to put that in the same pot and say, hey, we're actually going to pray about both of these. And what are you training your kids? In that sense, you're training them. That just because you possess something does not mean that you and I are the primary owners over that thing. That God is at the end of the day. Maybe if you're married, maybe if you're less wealthy in this room, pray for contentment with your, with your spouse often. Maybe ask yourself things like, what is my lot? Like, am I able to actually take care of my responsibilities? Who God made me? Am, am I praying? Do I, have, do I have time to pray? Do I have time to, to study God's word? If I don't have those two things, something's got to change. Am I able to meet not just the physical needs of my children, but can I also meet their emotional needs? What is my lot and what are my responsibilities that God has given me? And lastly, fight with all your might the desire to be rich. Fight with all your heart. When your heart longs for more and more and more and more, say, Lord, I thank you for what you've given me. That does not mean that you stop investing. That does not mean, but you invest differently. You make the most with what you have. Invest the best that you can. At the same time, you're continually praying, Lord, set not my heart on these things. Charge a fair wage. Work hard. Make knowing Jesus Christ and his gospel the deepest of your priorities. And accept the lot that you and I have in life with joy. The book of Ecclesiastes is here to warn us about a kind of life that looks superficially wonderful, but yet has zero joy in it. Money ain't bad, but the love of money is. May the Lord give us the ability to get that rat poison out of our hearts. Because it lodges in there, baby. It lodges in there. Thanks for listening in to today's message. For more information about our church, feel free to visit us at calvarybcmoultrie.com. We hope you will join us again next time. Until then, grace and peace.